For too many years, families of children with devastating illnesses have felt helpless as they watched their child suffer. Today, they're taking matters into their own hands and finally finding relief, treating their child with cannabis. These are their stories. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, we have a special guest today. And I, oh, this is going to be a really, really good um, show tonight. So excited. Yeah, especially for those who really want to know uh, the insides of where, uh, about medicinal uh, cannabis as well as just herbals. Um, we have a young lady here. Is that okay? I say young, right? <laughs> we have I'm already blushing. <laughs> we have Dr. Zara Deep Grand Prix. Is that pronounced it correctly? Yep. Uh, correct. Out of well, you were in Vancouver, Washington, correct? I was originally in Vancouver, Washington. Now I live in central Washington in a little town called Randall. Wow, wow. I hope you're safe yep. out there because I know that a lot of things are happening and you're around your way. Yep, it's a little bit smoky, but uh, we're 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 still good here. Okay, great. And now I noticed that you had such an extensive background, and uh, one of the things I saw that you were writing for uh, professional journals and texts on botanical medicine as well as pharmacology, um, yep. interactions with herbs and supplements, and then you worked with the elderly group and also with children's uh, with epilepsy. So it's you have so much. I just want to get an idea, like. Who, what, where, and when, and why? <laughs> you know, all in one. Like, what drove you and said, you know, this is what my path is going to be? Because this is not like a... Oh, that's a big question. I know. Um, loaded guns, right? <laughs> yeah, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, I've always loved science. I've always been, you know, a mini science geek when young, a maxi science geek now. Uh, it's always attracted me. I was always curious. Uh, originally, well, I ended up there, but originally I wanted to become a physician um, and went to the University of Buffalo. UB, go. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, started out in biology, but, you know, I wanted a bit more. And a friend of mine talked me into what I thought was a really cool area called medicinal chemistry. It's drug design. And so I graduated with a degree in drug design and then spent some time getting a master's degree in immunology at uh, Roswell Park uh, Cancer Institute. Uh, and then moved over with, with my husband at the time to Long Island and spent time in the neuroimmunology labs at Stony Brook. And then, you know, kind of settled in. But then um, after a divorce, I was teaching, and, you know, I was teaching AP chemistry, you know, single parenting, teaching, it worked for me, and ended up meeting my current husband, who at first I didn't, we met online, long story, I won't go into it, uh, <laughs> fell in love, I'm moving, once my kids had graduated high school, I'm moving to the West. And I had uh, I had originally applied to uh, what was called then Western States Chiropractic School as a teacher, and they must have gotten my my letter mixed up. So and they accepted me as a student, sent me oh. a um, 
scholarship, and I'm thinking, okay, this is the way the universe wants to go. All right. And then was diagnosed after one year at the chiropractic school. Um, wasn't really good at physical adjustment, so it was probably a good move. Wait I was a diagnosed minute. So, with skin cancer <laughs> wow. and went to the naturopathic school. Uh, and went from there, got my degree, so I'm a naturopathic physician, and in Washington State, we're primary care licensed physicians, and uh, started a practice. Then events after events after events, ended up getting very ill myself, and as part of my recovery process, started writing. And, you know, I still see patients, but I, I spend a lot of time, especially in the last few months, writing anything on science and medicine. So I've been writing a lot about COVID-19. I've been writing a lot about, mm. I've been writing grants for, you know, local school districts uh, for distance learning. But a large part of my my work has been with CBD because it was one of those things that I never understood why there was, you know, why it was Schedule 1, why cannabis was Schedule 1. You still don't understand I mean, why. <laughs> I, had, I had tried it. it. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't my drug of choice. That's all there is to it. People have preferences. Um, but, I, you know, there was no scientific rationale. And if you want to get me kind of crazy is to do something with no scientific rationale. Mm. Um, so I, you know, start and then I was getting questions from patients. Uh, and as it turns out, the area that I moved to in central Washington during World War II was one of the greatest areas for farming of hemp. So it, it turned out there was like kind of a historic precedent. And so I started learning about it, starting writing about it, started getting contacted by people and, you know, learning more and more about it as the research progressed. And so this is this is one of the areas that I, I particularly love to educate people about because CBD particularly, all cannabinoids, um, except for THC, where you do, because of its intoxicating effect, you have to be uh, more aware. But the cannabinoids in general have a really wide, what we call therapeutic window. And it's a wide window of safety and it's a wide window where you can see positive effects. And to me, to have an irrational reason not to use it because it's Schedule 1 or was Schedule 1, of course. Um, so I was thrilled when in Washington State they expanded the both medical use and then later on the recreational use, yes. which is, I, I think, a, a, it's an unfortunate way to describe it. Um, but, you know, I live in one of the states where it, there's this great open-mindedness and, and certainly um, a lot, neighboring state of Idaho, where, it, you know, you cannot in, do any of these things. Uh, and I've found more and more people have interest, more and more people have benefit for such a wide range of health conditions. And it, it's not a miracle. It's a plant substance that has beneficial effects for humans and you know I, I when I, I don't prescribe an awful lot of um, you know uh, pharmaceuticals 
but I don't object to it. My only objection is the misuse of drugs. It's not the use, the careful use, because I think these things can be used rationally and carefully mm -hmm. and help such a wide group of people that it's, you know, it's a shame not to make the most of it. So you had, just to recap on your background, so you are a naturopath, correct? Correct. Can you explain to us what that means exactly? So um, naturopaths, and I'm a little bit of an outlier um, <laughs> because, you know, I do have that background in drug design. And so I'm yes. probably a little bit easier with using pharmacologics than a lot of others. But as, as a group, naturopaths will use botanical medicines primarily, lifestyle modifications, um, you know, effects on the different choices people make in order to bring them back into equilibrium and health. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, when it comes to, let's, let's pull out um, heart disease, I will first, uh, if, if I can, work with an individual to change how they're eating, how they're exercising, how they're sleeping, how they're doing anger management, how they're doing relaxation techniques, how they're living their lives and bring down, say it's high blood pressure, bring down their blood pressure in those ways. Uh, so I will use uh, prescription medications, but it's only if absolutely necessary and until we can get them into a lifestyle that is modified sufficiently so that they don't need them and then wean them off the medication. So it's a very old, uh, it's based on, to a large extent, Europe, original European medicine and the eclectic movement in this country. Um, and as I said, I'm very fortunate to live in a very progressive state. Washington uh, was one of the first states to accept naturopaths as primary care physicians. Wow. So it's a primary care physician who emphasizes what you eat, how you exercise, how you live your life and using botanical medicines as a first step rather than using, uh, you know, prescription medications. Got it. What's interesting about that is that that's one thing I haven't been hearing, you know, offshoot, but, you know, basically during this time of COVID and this pandemic, that we don't hear anything about how to take care of yourself while you're on lockdown or while you're trying to overcome or deal with them if you did catch it. But the fact I have to shout louder, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, because, I mean, there's no preventive, like, oh, how about we change our diets? You know, there's... Well, you know, in general, what I tell people is you, if you keep your immune system healthy, mm -hmm. and that is mainly by diet eating whole foods, we're, we're mostly organic. I mean, I live on a farm. Most of our, so we grow a good deal of our food, especially during the, um, well, I should say my husband grows a good deal of our food. <laughs> um, I grow I grow flowers and herbs and mostly greens. Um, but, uh, you know, eating a healthy diet, and that's primarily whole foods, staying away from processed foods, staying away from sugar, is probably one of the most important things. Staying away from sugar. Sugar acts like a toxin 
in a lot of ways. Um, exercising, having, you know, I'm not going to say a positive mood is going to <laughs> um, prevent COVID, not by any means. But I think if you can do all those things, keep yourself as healthy as possible uh, by your by your diet and by your lifestyle choices, then your immune system should be in better shape to deal with COVID. Probably because, number one, you won't have any uh, comorbidities going on, or at least they'll be well, relatively more under control. Mm-hmm. And because the immune system, um, I don't often use the words amazing, uh, probably because they're overused, but this is what the immune system was designed for. Not designed for. This is what it evolved to do. And, uh, yes, it's a, it's a new novel virus, but uh, as far as advice goes, there's no guarantee, but I think you put yourself into a better position if you stay healthy, stay exercised, stay calm, Mm -hmm. wear your mask, Mm -hmm. wash your hands, stay apart from people, even if they're your good friends that, you know, a virus doesn't recognize whether you're good friends or not. <laughs> uh, it doesn't care. Um, and unfortunately, there have been too many people who um, don't trust the science and have been convinced otherwise. And, you know, there's just so much one can do. And I just keep repeating myself. I didn't spend all this time learning stuff so that I can make this stuff up. This virus is behaving like a virus does, and one of my often used phrases is virus is going to do what a virus is going to do. There's nothing surprising about this. What's surprising is that so many people seem to think they can wave their hands around or it won't happen to them, or that somehow a mask is medical tyranny, and I have a bit of a tough time talking to people like that, but... There you go. We still have to try, right? Of course. Now, how, when working with um, your patients, let's say a child with epilepsy, do you encompass um, a holistic approach, including the herbs? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, with a child, you're working also with the parents because, you know, um, if the parents are going to give a three-year-old um, fake little sausages because they're easy for that three-year-old to hold, I've got to work with the parents to ensure that they're providing the dietary support that is needed. Then, you know, and, uh, well, with, with a young child, they probably are active depending on the, the state of their epilepsy and how often they have seizures. Um, but you would also... Um, work in so that the parents understand the the you know the whole um the whole story of cbd uh and i i usually start by telling them the whole story of of the story of charlotte figley and you know talk to them how it was discovered and how it was kind of serendipitous uh with the stanley brothers finding you know they had this strain and what were they going to do with it kind of thing and so I explained to them and explained what we know of how it works. 
uh, and you know, I you know give them many lectures on the endocannabinoid system just so they have a real understanding of what the potential is. I talked to them about the therapeutic window that it, that with CBD it's a wide therapeutic window, mm-hmm. and that to have patience that it may take a while uh, for the CBD to have a positive effect. And the biggest rule of thumb is to start low and to go slow. That even though the safety profile of CBD is great, I mean, as far as herbal medicines, plant-derived medicines, and there's a great deal of pharmacology behind this, which I probably won't, I'm assuming you don't want people to fall asleep on us, right? So I won't go into details on the, the, the pharmacology, but basically what it comes down to is because you're talking about a mixture of substances with plants, um, the entourage effect, which I think we mentioned before, uh, hypothesizes that the mixture of cannabinoids and terpenes in mm-hmm. a CBD oil will act similarly as they do in the plant. There's People are often shocked to know that the physiology of, of plants, bacteria, viruses, humans, mammals, fish are not all that different because nature tends to conserve what works. So that combination of let's just call them phytochemicals, phytonutrients from the plants, tends to work in the same way. So the plant doesn't um, make substances that in the wrong pattern with the other plant constituents will cause harm because it would cause harm to itself. And so I think that translates uh, into using CBD oils or capsules or however the delivery method is, it kind of translates into it so that when you use the extract, the whole plant that contains high level, you know, concentrated levels of CBD, but still is in combination with the other plant constituents, that's what creates that really wide window of safety. So we start low with the lowest dose that you can you say, for example, if you've got a young child and parents, we've gone through all the educational process and they've decided to try try using CBD for their child, say they want to go with gummies. So you cut them up, you find the lowest dose available, cut them up into quarters. And then you, or, or eighths if you have to, whatever it is, you start out with the lowest dose that you can and you start giving that dose to the child and watching everything. I have a lot of patients do journaling, you know, write everything down because you think you're going to remember. It's like, you know, that that grand event that you never took a picture of or you did a remodel on your house and you'll remember how what an awful state it was in. But then all of a sudden, two years later, when it, you've sat in the remodel home, you're not quite remembering where that big hole in the wall was. So, you, t- you know, you journal, keep track of everything, keep track uh, of the number of seizures, the types of seizures, how long they last, and then start recording. And you've got to give that initial dose a little bit of time. And it's, it's very difficult because, you know, your child is hurting, your child is suffering. So to be watching that is very difficult. Um, but then you slowly increase the dose by giving a quarter or half a gummy or whatever is the choice or the oils. Um, 
I tend to start kids off on gummies because they think it's a lot more fun and that <laughs> seems to work better a lot of times. Um, and, and then you start increasing it very slowly, giving at least a few days um, between changes of doses and keeping track of everything. And then when you find that ideal dose, you can stick with it. You may cut back a little bit depending on, on where where your child's progress is at. And then you you may, sometimes people don't want to do one dose, so they may want to divide doses, and that can work beautifully. It all, it all depends. There's, uh, we talk in medicine about personalized medicine. This is very personalized. Yes. So you really do have to, um, and, you know, I trust the parents because, well, parents know their kids better than everyone, anyone. You know, I may be able to look, and I, I might have an observation or two that the parents hadn't really realized. But when it comes right down to it, I remember one of my first patients said to me, you, you're the first doctor who's ever believed me. <laughs> and this was a gentleman who was about 55 years old. And I said to him, so how old are you? And he said, 55. And I said, and you've had this body your entire life? He looked at me like I was a lunatic, said, yeah. I said, well, then, you know, as a first step, I'm going to believe you. You may have a different way of expressing it. I may translate it in my notes as something else, more technical. But, yes, I'm going to believe you. And same with parents. They know their child. You know, sometimes the rose-colored glasses stay on a bit too long. But they know their child, so they know the differences. They know the differences in behaviors. Uh, they know the, certainly the differences if, if you have a child who's having 30, 40, or even more seizures a day. You know when that number has been affected. You know, you know when you... And you know when you see an improvement in behaviors. True. Um, so it really follows what the parents and, you know, depending on the age of the child, what they're, what they're saying. And most kids, I think, probably are just thrilled that this is slowing down. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's you true. Know? Um, so it is an awful lot of work with parents. Um, but, you know, once that controlling dose, we'll call it that, mm. is achieved, you know, it's, it, it, what a relief. Yeah. What a relief. And then you can work from there. But you've got a, plat a place from which you can work that's, it's, it's, you know, the stress level has been reduced both on, on the parent and the child because kids go through stress. You know, absolutely. it might be all they're aware of at the time. You know, this is natural, normal to them. But once the number of seizures has decreased, I think I, I'm going to I'm going to shout it out. Most kids are like, wow, you know, yeah. I can I can do this. I can do that now. Yeah. They, again, they may not phrase it that way. So once that plateau is, is reached, then then you can find fine tune it. Then you can adjust things as works in your family um, but the education part is really important because if people don't buy into it they won't stick with it that is so true we've, we've seen that um, where uh, we have a family friend who started using CBD for the, uh, her son's uh, ailment and after a, 
week or two, maybe even a month, decided to stop. You know, it's not working. You know, in their mind, they're like, it does not working until they stopped and realized, oh, maybe it was. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> my question to you about DNA. Well, I know we had done for my son because of his epilepsy that we did a DNA test and a genetics test. And it came out with a report stating there might have been some type of defect or some sort, which I wasn't really buying into. But as it relates to CBD, do you think there's a correlation between a person's DNA and a specific strain or plant? This is all going to be speculation uh, because there's not a lot of research, at least not a lot of research that I am aware of. But DNA is... Uh, let me. DNA is the um, sequence of nucleotides that define the genes. The genes make proteins. Proteins do most of the hard work in the body. There's something called epigenetics, which when I first read uh, one of the original papers on it, I, I was just like I was doing what I call the the happy naturopath dance. It really <laughs> looks, it, it looks stupid. Okay. Don't, <laughs> thankfully there, we're not on video. Um, <laughs> but it was a happy naturopath dance because I was such a geek, science geek. And so dedicated to science, there were times in naturopathic medical school where, um, Oh God, the, the group, the professional group is going to love me for this, but I call them fluffernutters. They wave their hands around a lot and say amazing and awesome. But when you say, what exactly is this particular herb doing? They're like, I don't know. Hmm. And, you know, to me, waving your hands around and and saying awesome and amazing is kind of worthless if you don't know how something is working. So when I first read this um, paper on epigenetics, it to me, it, it settled a lot of things that I'd been learning about and had basic faith in, but wanted to have a scientific basis for it. Epigenetics is um, gene uh, above genetics. So it's how the gene expression is controlled, and that can be controlled by diet, exercise, your outlook on life, basically your mood, and you know that huge tent that is covered by mood. So to answer, to go back to your question, it is, to my mind, theoretically very possible that um, different genes are expressed in different ways, different at different times based on your um, your lifestyle as a whole, where those genes are expressed in different ways can also affect, so there's two basic receptors for uh, endocannabinoids and for the cannabinoids, CB1 and CB2. Uh, CBD tends to, it doesn't directly bind it. We usually use the analogy of lock and key. But CBD is, is more like, um, it, it's more a bit like Play-Doh coming around the, the lock and changing the shape of the lock a little bit. So it works a little bit differently than, say, for example, THC or the endocannabinoids. But to my mind, it is absolutely possible, though I don't think, as far as I know, it's been described yet, that there are different isotypes of uh, receptors that would um, respond to CBD in slightly different ways. On top of that, uh, while 
you know, humans like to do these classifications. The body doesn't necessarily work that way. So there's the CB receptors, but there's also an ever-growing number of receptors that perform different functions, which is and that C, uh, CBD and other cannabinoids bind to. So it is theoretically absolutely possible that with one person with one genetic profile is going to respond to uh, CBD in one way and someone else is going to pr respond in another way and that the answer is how th their, uh, how the genetic expression is affecting the binding and how, you know, how the biochemistry responds to that. And the other side of the coin is that the different chemovars uh, or different strains of uh, hemp plant or cannabis, and, and no one for 250 years, no one's been able to figure out, you know, the diff which is a substrain, which is a strain, um, you know, how these all interrelate. Uh, cannabis is an ancient plant, and I guess it's old enough to fool us. So let's just use chemovar as a particular uh, clone of plants that has a particular profile. So if you've got two different chemovars of uh, hemp plant that provides mostly CBD, in theory, it's absolutely possible that those two chemovars are going to affect a single person differently because the profile, and that's the entourage effect, how mm. the mixture of cannabinoids and terpenes will affect someone. Was that too long of an answer? It was very informative because I haven't heard that interpretation before, so yeah. that's good. Thank you very much for that. Sure. So what I'm going to do is that right now we're at our 30-minute mark, so we're going to turn this into a two-part episode yes, because it has really gotten good. And, oh, man, I'm looking forward to coming back. So, uh, folks... Please tune in. I get to, to talk to you guys again. Yes. Of course, we're welcoming <laughs> you back. We're welcoming I'm doing you back. Happy Nature Path Dan. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, well, folks, please tune in to our next episode as we speak with Dr. Zara De Grandpre out in Washington, in the state of Washington, a small in town, central Washington, between three volcanoes. Awesome! I can imagine the view. <laughs> Uh, and in a national forest. Wow. Yep. That must be a beautiful scenery. I will send you pictures. Please do. All right, guys. Uh, please tune in for the next episode. All right. Good night. Thanks for tuning in. Right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on Podcon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, 
share and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.